Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. And now, Kevin Ray. Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host. I am here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. Thank you so much for joining us. We want to thank you for coming into the Housing Hour. We want to tell you how to plug in with us. Number one, you can go to thehousinghour.com. That is the treasure trove of information. We'd love for you to go and check out all of our great material that we have, as well as we're on, of course, the social media platforms. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Pinterest. Uh, Facebook.com slash the Housing Hour at the Housing Hour for Twitter. And Pinterest is at Mark Griffith. So check him out there. He is an excellent pinner, uh, and we're excited about that. Um, today, and Mark, first of all, before we get started, how are you? Doing great. It's been a while since we've had a show, a couple and weeks. How are you feeling? I'm feeling much better. Had the flu last week. That was a very rough go. Um, and I don't take a flu shot, which I, if you send in um, mail on that emails, it's mark.griffith at MIG. <laughs> I'm going to start doing it, I promise. But uh, yeah, it was rough. It was, it was a very difficult, but I'll have to give a shout out to University Center Clinic um, down near Kroger. Uh, for those of you in Knoxville, um, North Shore, South North Shore, um, had me in and out in th- 30 minutes. Great. Got in. They, they, I, you know, they said, this is probably the flu. Gave me the test. Got the Tamiflu, I was out of there, and I was back before the Titans game. This is a week ago, oh, yeah. a week ago Saturday, when we actually won, right. um, and it was great. So, I mean, the the, the, the customer ser- service was great, not the flu. Uh, so, have all that behind us. It is cold, but what isn't cold, I think, right now is the housing market beginning to warm up. And in general, what we try to do, and we, we really have, I think, a, probably the best resource of any show around as it relates to economic outlooks. And we have with us on the, the phone, uh, we have with us Ralph DeFranco, who is the um, chief global ec- economist for, um, for one of our partners mm-hmm. and ArchMI. ArchMI. And, and, and we are so thankful to Kim for getting her, him together that first time. I love Kim Miller. She's one of the best that we've got. Yes, absolutely. And uh, welcome to the Housing Hour. Ralph, how are you over there? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Mm, we're glad you're here. So 2019, Mark and I were looking um, offline at how, um, how accurate that your assessments mm-hmm. were, your outlook was really from 2018 when we did the show to th- for 2019 and really incredible. And have you, have you received a lot of fan mail and stuff or <laughs> funny? I, what I have been is more optimistic on home price growth than the consensus of other economists. And I've been more accurate for the last five years just because there's a housing shortage and that has been pushing up prices and it's still there. So Conditions are still ripe for more home price growth, so I'm still I'm still bullish. And, and uh, is that a lot of times people, maybe the other economists, are, are are baking in or not baking in rather the fact that we don't know what the inventory may or may not look like. Um, and th- there's, do you have a special unique algorithm that you use, or or how do you go about placing some, and attributing some percentage to that? We do have predictive models, so but I'm really partially going on instinct as well. And it's yeah. just I've been at 20 years, and, and 
I was I was warning about a housing bubble back in 2005. I think I called it a little early, but I, I have a pretty decent track record, at least with home prices. Nobody can really predict interest rates. I don't think uh, I could brag too much about my rate forecast, but the home price <laughs> forecasting. Um, well, that's funny. Well, yeah, rates are very hard to predict. But um, one of the, the key things that we found this last year was that um, home buying – began to take over the refinance market, I think, at some point, if not the whole year, frankly. Um, rates did come back down, so it did uh, basically increase our volume significantly when that did dip because we didn't have that refinance volume. Then all of a sudden we did, which really made for a special year for a lot of uh, you know financial institutions. Um, but we also, of course, always service our purchase clients. And was the purchases without having the numbers right in front of me? Uh, did the number of new home sales exceed or meet or fall short of your of, of your projections? They've been in line. So, so we're we've been predicting basically ten percent growth. That's that's about what we've seen. So, so it, the new home segment is is still small. It's still only ten percent of sales. So, mm -hmm. the existing home markets where most of the action is still. Yeah. Now the sixty. I mean, this is the big sixty-four thousand dollar question um, going forward. Now we have a, an election year coming up, um, but I want to ask you about that later. But first, mm -hmm. can you just kind of give us the um, the hammer report and your and maybe give us a sort of a on you know on air you know scenario of what you think twenty twenty housing is going to look like? Oh, gladly. So I write a newsletter called the Housing and Mortgage Market Review. You can get it at uh, archmi.com slash hammer. And in that, I look at things like Boone City. So last, uh, in the summer, I actually wrote a thing about Nashville. So that was that, that you know, sixth, the strongest home, um, not home price growth, sorry, sixth strongest job growth in the country over five years in Nashville. So we talked about that. Mm -hmm. In terms of what we're writing about right now, we're really still bullish on home price growth, even though it's slowing a little bit. I still think it's an excellent time to buy because interest rates are so low yeah. and you know, you really can't beat it in terms people think affordability is terrible now because they're comparing it to two years ago, four years ago, five years ago. Those are all like incredibly great opportunities to buy lifetime. Once in a lifetime low since basically 2012. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at affordability now relative to let's say the 1990s, it still actually looks pretty good. And, and the way I do that calculation is I look at, the uh, person making a median income and how much of their income would it take to buy a median priced home? Mm -hmm. And when I look at that measure, Tennessee looks good. The U S looks good. It's really not an issue. I think it's still a good time to buy. And yeah, it's always unpleasant to write a check for, for uh, uh, a home. It always feels extensive. It's always been, it has got this weird characteristic that everybody thinks they missed a boat. Doesn't matter what year, what city. Everybody thinks like, "Oh, it's too late. Somebody else got rich, but I didn't." But that's just not the case. It's it's the home prices are still reasonable, and in fact, they're a very good deal with these low interest rates. When we so I'm bullish. when we look at rent cost in certain areas, whenever I've done that, and we've always done that, even as consumers, we look at what would it cost to rent this rather than buying this, yeah. whether that be, I mean, a number of different things, you know, and, you know, we don't factor, we never factor in other things. Like we don't factor in, you know, what might be 
you know, the, the uh, savings as it relates to your income taxes. And I mean, there are certain models certainly that put that in, but generally speaking, even if you take those things out of the equation, you know, renting long-term is not the best way to go. <laughs> Would we all agree no. with that? <laughs> yeah. And it's in the numbers. It's mathematical. It's not uh, an assumption. It's not your opinion. I mean, yes, it is your opinion, but it's based upon some really, you know, hard facts, basically. Numerical facts. I, I think the easy way to explain it is just look at your mortgage payment. So so let's say it's about the same as rent. And you can see that when you go look on some websites like Zillow. You can see this is what the mortgage is going to look like on this house. This is what it would rent for. This is our estimate with the rent. They're often very similar. But most of, or a good chunk of that mortgage payment is paying down the principal. You're, that, that's money you didn't, you're, you're, that's money you're saving for retirement. That's money that's not money going to somebody else. That's money just paying off uh, the principal on the house. So that, that's that's effectively savings. Yeah, we only have about two minutes left in this segment, so I don't want to get into uh, too meaty of a, a subject in this last moment for before we get to the next segment, but. Um, you see this over the next couple of years, not a ton of change. We definitely, you don't see a recession pending, do you, like in the immediate future, do you? No, no. It, no, the, the odds, uh, the, let's see, who, who has, Moody's Analytics has a three-month-ahead model, and they're putting it, like, basically zero. So the, the indicators at the moment are all very positive. Unemployment's very low. Construction is improving. Manufacturing is starting to pick up a little bit, although it's been hurt by by uh, the trade war and and the Boeing uh, slowdown and so forth. But but in general, the economy is very strong, and and it would take it would take several big shocks for it to go into recession. So it's really unlikely at the moment. Yeah, and, and when you say conditions, you know, because condition conditions are favorable for this to continue as far as a home price growth. Um, you, you mean the, when you say conditions, you mean all the things maybe that, that you just listed as some of those. So when you look at the full gamut of information that's available through whether that be the labor department or, or whatever, wherever you're getting your information, things look good for, for, fa- for, for homes, for growth. Yes. I mean, really prices that have to do with supply and demand. Demand is out there. There's there's incredibly low unemployment rates. This is the best job market in people's working lifetimes. It's mm. the lowest unemployment in 50 years. And That's so right. the demand, demand is there. Interest rates are low. And there's no supply. So it's just the perfect setup for, for continued home price growth. So it's better to get in sooner rather than later if you're sitting on the phone. I love it. Well, we're getting ready to come to the end of this first uh, segment break. And we have Ralph DeFranco with us. He is the chief uh, global economist for ArchMI. Thankful for his time. Guys, we're going to stick around. Just stick around with us for a few more minutes. We've got some great stuff coming. It's a great time to buy and it's a great time to learn. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. Thank you for joining us. We're excited to have you here in 2020. We are definitely getting some 2020 vision from Ralph DeFranco. He is the chief global economist for ArchMI. And we want to thank Kim Miller for connecting us with him as usual. He's been doing our show. Gosh, I guess it's been a few years, hasn't it? Three years, maybe. Three years or so. And um, 
has a pretty good batting average, if you if you will. Oh, he's excellent um, when it comes to nailing this stuff. Yeah, would be in the Hall of Fame if if he if we had that for economists. Um, and they may. I don't know if they have that type. Is there is there a Hall of Fame for economists, uh, Ralph? It's not as good as a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I'm afraid. But yeah, right. <laughs> it's probably like all of us if the check cashes at the end of the month. Right? That's right. That's right. Oh, I love it. Well, again, thank you for, for joining us. And we were talking there in the previous segment just about housing and um, the, a lot of upside. And, you know, the thing that I want the listeners to understand is that, you know, we don't have people on the show that are just coming on just to say things so that you think it's the time to go buy a home. I mean, it's just not the way it works, right? And if it was not good, like back, if you recall, back in 2009 and 2008, you know, I was one of those. I was, I was saying, be very cautious, you know, and you were as well. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And, Dr., I mean, we have, so, so, so you have given us a lot of information in the past that has come to flourishing, and you made a very good point, and that's what I wanted to really quick bring up before we hit some other subject matter, which was, you know, you know, people are worried, okay, well, did I get in at the right time? Oh, I've missed the boat. Oh, you know, the, the fact is when you talk about continued growth, continued growth means continuing climbing of home values. Um, but you are not too late because home prices will continue to increase as well as other things, right? That's our best guess at the moment. Certainly there's, look, there's a housing shortage. The economy is strong. We don't really see anything with the economy off balance at the moment. I mean, it always could happen. We could go to war or something like that. But at the moment, the conditions are great. And, and one way to see that is we have a statistical model that we published the results on by city on our website uh, called the risk index, so the RMI risk index. And what it does is it gives a probability of home prices being lower in two years. And those numbers for Tennessee are at the rock bottom. Mm. So based on nine inputs, things like unemployment rates, home price momentum, over undervaluation estimates, we're, we're really thinking that it's, it's incredibly low risk at the moment. Oh, that's great to know. And uh, for those of us who bought in 2007, <laughs> which there was some of us, and I'm one of them, yeah. um, I feel like I got a great deal. I got a steal of a deal. But no, I'm kidding. But you know, when I look at the value of my home over time, you know, certainly it was a big concern. I remember Pam and I, we were very, very worried about it. And we were thinking, man, what have we done? And you're, you know, I'm in the mortgage business. How could I have done this and all of that? I mean, I beat myself up, but at the same time, what I have seen come true is yes. Um, home value, my home value did go down below where I bought it, but, um, just like any good investment, any, in, uh, you know, person that invests, you know, whether that be in mutual funds or someone who specializes, you don't just buy something. I mean, we're not flipping stocks here, right? I mean, a home is a home. It's an investment. So now there are people who do that, Mark, like yourself. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. But there are people who do flip homes, but that's not who, what we're talking about here. But Ralph, and, and to Kevin's point, because what really kind of what I'm, I'm hearing is that we always go back to the benchmark of 2007. It, it just seems like a modern benchmark where we look at what was going on at that point in time, and we always try to compare it to what's going on now. On page 31 of your Hammer report, if people go to that, 
It, it's awesome. What mm-hmm. you really need to look, what Ralph, uh, Dr. DeFranco, uh, puts in here. You compare that 2007 um, environment in the housing environment, and you compare it to the, the 2019. Do you know which uh, chart I'm referring to, Dr. DeFranco? Probably my webinar deck. I, I, yes, I think I, I do. Yeah, so, I was pointing out, yeah. yeah you, you point out like in 2007, it was overbuilt. It was poor quality, loan quality, buyer irrational exuberance, poor affordability on the average, and loosely regulated. As compared to Kevin in 2019, underbuilt by a million plus units, high loan quality is what we're looking at, cautious buyers, decent affordability on the average, and tightly regulated. That's the two different worlds that we live in is why the economy, I think, is so strong. What would you say, Dr. DeFranco? I think that it says it well. And, and the, you, can't, you can't overemphasize the difference in loan quality. Back in 2006, a third of the loans were low doc, or no doc, I should say. Now that's basically under 2%. I mean, it's basically illegal in most cases to do that. <laughs> right. There, a third of the loans were interest only or negative or balloon. Now it's close to zero. So the, the, it's a completely different lending environment. And uh, that made a big difference because it basically when they loosened the guidelines too much, that enabled too much demand. And then they tightened it too much the other way, and that caused the housing correction to, to go too far on the, on the downside. Well, neither is, you know, neither of those things are anywhere near likely. We're not going to get carried away right now because lending is still tight. And... There's nothing to overcorrect the downside because it's it's not overvalued right now. So especially when you look at things like income growth over time, then uh, which is up, up like 23 percent, something like that, since 2007, it's okay that home prices now have gone up because we got inflation, you've got income growth, you've got more people, so it's uh, and lower interest rates. So you add all this up, it's actually still a very good time. And I think there also was some work that was done through, I don't know if it was the Dodd-Frank bill or if it was other mm-hmm. collaborative efforts, but, you know, the credit default swaps or whatever it was that, you know, you were selling these bulk loans as A paper and investors were getting C, D, F paper. And so it was kind of like a bait and switch and um, that, I, I'm not saying, I, you know, I don't know that, that it doesn't happen, but I, I think they, they they made some adjustments as that was very important to getting the mortgage-backed security market back in a healthy place, right? Oh, yeah. It, it's like that movie, The Big Short. So yes. so investors, investors learn their lesson. They're not touching the, the really crazy stuff. And anything, if anything, they, they, they went too far the other way. So they've been overly cautious going back into the, into the market, especially given how, how strong conditions are for housing. And likewise, with, uh, when, when you listed that, that, that comparison between now and 10 years ago, and I mentioned before there were sort of irrational exuberance of buyers, and now there's cautious buyers. Right. The buyers are also cautious now because uh, home buyers, potential home buyers, because they, they remember how bad it was. But that was a once in a, that was once in a hundred year event. It's, it's a very, that was very unusual. The house things had never fallen in the, the, the 45 years in home prices before that. So it's just very, uh, and, and we have records of it because, you know, there were some problems in the depression, obviously, but. <clears throat> but one thing I don't understand, Kevin, is, yeah. is in, in this market that we have, we have unemployment super low, 
and inflation that is in check, very low, and it's been that way for so long. What's driving that piece of it, Dr. DeFranco? Why is inflation mm-hmm. still hasn't taken off? Everybody was expecting it probably in 2012, 2010, 12, for it to really right. go hyperinflation. It never happened. Yes. I wasn't too worried about it because there was some slack in the economy. Now the slack has sort of disappeared. The unemployment rate's low, and we're still not seeing inflation. Some of it is is e-commerce. So Amazon is just relentless at pushing down the costs of the suppliers, right? Because you're now, you're now you're just looking for the lowest price thing and that gets good ratings on Amazon before you went off their reputation. So it's a different, different experience. And things are more global now. So it's uh, even if things are tight here, there's still plenty of workers around the globe that can manufacture things and ship them here to keep prices low. Well. Had it not been for globalization in some regard, to mm-hmm. supply and demand, I think, you know, we would have, everything would look like the healthcare costs. Absolutely. No, there's another big factor we didn't talk about is just unions are weaker and there's been some more uh, power from the employer. So they, they're just, you know, they're not, they're not uh, generous with the pay raises because they, they don't have to be. So the wages have stayed low is basically. Also people don't expect inflation. So it's, it's so low that it's sort of out of people's minds. So, you don't really demand a pay raise because you're not like seeing the prices of everything rising rapidly. Jimmy Hoffa is turning over in his <laughs> concrete grave at Giant Stadium. <laughs> well, hey, well, let me ask you this. Uh, I mean, we haven't seen glo- uh, globally this long of a neutral p- uh, position of oil, barrel of oil price. It hasn't been this low and consistent for a very long time in our history worldwide mm. is that part of the factor because every time yeah. oil prices go crazy our economy is affected is maybe part of this is blamed because oil's been stable yeah and part of that is just the fact that the technology's improved this fracking technology they can get all kinds of oil. i mean america's gone is, is what tripled quadrupled output just in 10 years i mean it's, it's astounding we've gone to a net exporter from a big importer and so that and they can open and close those wells very easily when prices go up and down. Well, hang on to that thought. That's a great one. And we're going to continue right here on the housing hour. Stick with us. We'll be right back. The housing hour with Kevin Ray continues helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. And welcome back into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I'm your host with Mark Griffith, executive producer and co-host. Mortgage Investors Group is our sponsor. You can find more information at MIGonline.com. You can find offices from the Tri-Cities all the way over to Memphis, all the way down to Atlanta. We're expanding into Charlotte. We have the whole Southeast cover beginning to, and we're growing. We're planting more seeds and we're excited about the uh, future of Mortgage Investors Group. I uh, would love to partner with you um, in your home buying or refinancing needs. You can go to MIGonline.com to learn more. All right. We are back in here with Dr. Ralph DeFranco. He is the chief global economist for ArchMI. And he has been providing some uh, very substantive information revolving around the economy. I I had a quick question for you. I noticed in a, um, I can't recall if it was, oh, I know what it was. I had had a law professor on on my other 
show that I do, and he was talking about um, politically the United States is in a little different position maybe than it was 25 years ago as it relates to global GDP, whereas now we our global GDP is maybe 19%, and we're used to it being much higher than that. Um, what does that really mean for us? Mm-hmm. Well, we have less power than we once had. So there was a time where we were half of the world GDP, which gave us a lot of clout. And now we have a real rival in the form of China. And, and hey, they're great manufacturing stuff, and at least they're not interfering with elections and, and trying to unravel the uh, <laughs> makeup like that. So, you know, I welcome our new, our new Chinese overlords, uh, if you're listening now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And and you know but, what, I, what I always found interesting was, you know, when you go out there, and I'm talking specifically for mortgage-backed security. So mortgage-backed security is is an investment. It's something that someone could purchase, and someone in China could purchase it. Someone in any country could purchase it. It's it's a avail. It's an available financial instrument that people can purchase, and um, China. Uh, does own a lot of our debt. Uh, and as it, as it relates to the economy going forward, you know, we had that scare a couple few years ago where um, our Discover card was maxed out, but we, need, we still had bills that we had to pay. And it was our national um, credit line. I can't recall the exact verbiage, but we did increase that. Um, I haven't heard much more about that. Is that still Okay. <laughs> So we really don't have any problem borrowing. The, the, the federal government can borrow money at incredibly low rates. There's just basically lots of money to be invested, and people still consider the U.S. government incredibly safe. So, so they, they don't have to pay in great high. So they, they actually have room to borrow. So I've never been terribly panicked about uh, the national debt. It would be nice if they um, – nice food lower, and it would be nice if we weren't uh, rapidly expanding it. The, the last tax cut really – push up the deficit quite high. So there's there's some concern for down the road, but in terms of issues at the moment, it's not an issue at the moment. And uh, likewise, I've never been too worried about the Chinese owning our debt. Uh, there was always, some people like to wring their hands and say, well, they could sell it all at once, and that would cause a big panic here. And the fact of the matter is that would ruin the value of their investment, so they're not going to do that. They're not right. stupid. So that, yeah. that, was, that was a book. Yeah. I think Trump actually said that exact thing. I think that they're not stupid. I think is this verbs, but I think he used a different um, series in that in that in that particular sentence. But um, stupid, <laughs> stupid was definitely in it. Um, as it relates to what we can think of, what we look forward to, and really what you know, what the whole entire you know political process will will how it will it will affect not just interest rates, but also our economy in the global economy as well. Because the United States, although their GDP numbers may be down globally from what, what they once were, um, I actually think that's somewhat of a positive in, in some sense. But uh, Donald Trump, as an example, if he were to win another term, or if you had someone like Bernie Sanders win, just as an example, Bernie Sanders is very um, uh, social minded. So, you know, socialism, I think, is even what he sort of his platform. Um, Donald Trump, he did those tax cuts. So they're both spending a lot of money. 
It's just who are they taking the money from? So Bernie Sanders says, let's tax the rich. Donald Trump says, let's give them tax cuts. He feels trickle-down economy will happen. Well, job growth is strong, so that part of it's right. Uh, We have a very low unemployment rate. So is that going to equate into job, you know, growth? And let me ask you this, because I know job growth is okay. We're going to be at 2% GDP. But the real question is the average wages. Where are we with that? Mm -hmm. So they're growing only about 3% a year in the national numbers that are commonly reported. Mm -hmm. But actually, it's higher than that if you look in subcategories. So construction laborers, there's a real shortage of them. Their, Their wages are up more like 5%. And also, if you look at people who were employed a year earlier and then employed today, it's more like 4% instead of 3%. And the reason is, the reason the national numbers look lower is just because retiring baby boomers that were earning a lot of money retiring and being replaced by younger people that make less. So the average isn't moving up as much as it is if you look at actual individuals and track that one person over time. So mm. the income growth has, has picked up some. What we're really missing is productivity growth. And I think you gotta, you got to wonder if uh, smartphones and Facebook and these sort of things are, are the reason why we're not actually managing to make uh, more things for the same amount of effort. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good point. <laughs> that's a very good point. Well, there is no shortage of manufacturing of the iPhones, though, and China handles that for us. Um, and until we have, I mean, this isn't a political show, certainly, but um, from the economy standpoint, um, one of the things that over the past 25 years we've seen is outsourcing, maybe 25 years is a little long of what, but, but, but it has happened. But our, our trade deficit has only grown over time, right? Does a trade deficit, I know that it's not a, necessarily a bad thing, but um, does shrinking the trade deficit help us at all? Because that's really what Donald Trump's big, big case is here. Well, he hasn't actually succeeded at that. So, right, right. so we, we, had a, we had a big drop from China, but we had an almost equal size increase from everywhere else. So the Vietnam and the Thailand, other places hotels. where they could go. I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. I said the places he has hotels. I'm only kidding, folks. <laughs> it's mark.griffith yeah, right. at MIG. <laughs> so, it, it, I don't, I, you know, I, I think something had to be done about China breaking the rules, but I don't think we've gone about it in a terribly intelligent fashion. Uh, so there's there's more work to be done there. I do think if Trump's reelected, he will be more aggressive on uh, tariffs, and that that is a risk to the economy. So yeah. there, there's some risk there. Uh, if we go if we go too far to the left, if we end up with with Bernie or Elizabeth Warren. There's a risk uh, of, of gumming things up on the economy on that side. So there's there's risk on on both sides. The but I'm pretty sure there'll be enough Republican senators to, to stop um, anything really radical from the left. So I'm not too worried about major disruption either way. Well, I think about what rates are going to do, and I know you have you know what your suggested idea of what the rates are going to do. But um, as far as the Fed rate goes, there's not really any indication that that anything is going to change in terms of, I guess, let me ask you that. And it may be here in my fingertips and I'm just missing it. But as far as the, the fed rate, do you feel like that'll stay flat this year or go up or down? Definitely flat to lower. So they, they have, so Powell came out at the end of last year and he stated that the only way we'll raise rates is if we see a persistent and, and, 
uh, a persistent increase in inflation. It's persistent and surprisingly large. So, so we're, it just seems very unlikely that we'll get that. And so they're basically signaling we're not going to raise rates, which would be very politically bad for him. I mean, Trump really gets upset when he were to try that. So in any case, the rates are definitely not going up. They would go down if the economy cools. Uh, right. So, so but uh, upside going up is, rare, is, is unlikely. Nevertheless, the, 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 the Goldman Sachs thinks mortgage rates are going to increase a quarter point this year. Right. Because... The, the, the Federal Reserve controls the overnight day-to-day rates, whereas mortgage rates are more like, you know, it's a 30-year mortgage, so it's a, it's a long-dated uh, investment, and that really depends on investors' preference for buying longer-dated um, bonds. And so, well, let me tell you something. A big indicator is that my wife and I decided we needed to pay down or almost off our home equity line of credit because rates were going up. And immediately when I did that, guess what happened? They turned <laughs> around. So, folks out there, I've just d- done that. So, don't expect rates to go up. That's the Kevin Ray Schiller report. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It happens every time. But the more you know, scientific approaches, like you said, I mean, Goldman Sachs—they're they're looking at the, some of the same data that you you look at, and they're just coming out, you know, with an opinion, right? Yes. Right. Sure. Mark, what is yeah, my prediction, my prediction is mortgage rates will be roughly flat, but they go up and down from day to day. There's no, there's nothing flat in mortgage rates ever. So Right, exactly. Well, uh, in our last segment, I want to actually t- talk a little bit about that too, because I'm, I'm interested. People sometimes think that, think that Fed rate is, is really the interest rate. It's not. It's actually a little different, but I, I would like for our listeners to be able to understand that. Guys, continue with us right after these messages. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. And welcome back into the Housing Hour. Again, this is Kevin Ray. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, and I'm here with Mark Griffith, our executive producer and co-host. And uh, really just thankful for Mark helping to facilitate getting Dr. DeFranco back on the show. It's, It's really been nice having him again. And we thank you, sir, for joining us again on the Housing Hour. My pleasure. Your pleasure. I'm sorry you didn't hear. So your, your mic was turned down. Mark had your mic turned down. <laughs> what was that? I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. I'm always happy to talk to you guys. Absolutely. And just so everyone knows, Arch and I, uh, we are thankful for uh, him being able to come on and give us the time. Um, and also for everyone's um, information, this show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. You can go to migonline.com, and we'll also have uh, the Hammer Report link on the post when we put this show live. So if you want to refer to that, folks, you can go to thehousinghour.com. It will be front and center, and it's we have a, a new website that we've developed and we've retooled, and it's a treasure trove of information. We'd love for you to go in. And as a matter of fact, if you go to the search menu, search bar, and you could even put in DeFranco, you're going to be able to pull the other three, four shows, whatever we've had. Um, I think it would be interesting, actually, so that if you wanted to go back, I, I find historical references very interesting. You can listen to last year's. You can listen to and be able to see, wow, so that this show becomes even that much more valuable because we know that what Dr. DeFranco is telling us, I mean, he's not, you know, uh, I guess, Nostradamus or whatever the guy, but 
he's got very good, uh, very good information that he's built around his, um, you know, his predictions, right? Based on data. Based on data. That's, that's right. So in this last segment, first thing I wanted to do was to say um, or ask, where is the difference between the Fed rate and the interest rates? You know, everyone says, oh, rates just went up. And really it was that the Fed had raised the rate by a quarter of a percent or whatever. Now, it, it sometimes mm-hmm. is either baked in, maybe before that pricing, but I remember in 2008, Fed would raise, rates would low. I mean, it was all messed up. But talk, could you talk a little bit about that just for an educational purposes? Yeah, gladly. So the Federal Reserve can only really control very short-term rates. And so those rates do influence bank lending. And so when the Fed raises rates, credit card companies immediately uh, follow suit and raise their rates. So there is definitely a link with Fed uh, raising interest rates and things you pay. However, mortgages are really different because a mortgage is a 30-year loan. And so there's a big difference in what investors think is going to happen over the next 30 years than just what's happening over the next uh, short month or two where the Fed funds rate is. So that difference is really things like investor expectations of the future. So right now, the fact that rates are so low, that sort of signals that investors think inflation is going to remain low for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And interest rates for longer term, uh, uh, things like mortgages, are really determined by global supply and demand for money. And, and so we have very low interest rates in Japan and Europe. Basically, all of those things help lower our interest rates. Our interest rates are below where they should be logically given unemployment rates of 3.5%. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We're benefiting, from, we're benefiting from Europe and Japan and the rest of the world being, uh, they're relatively weaker than the U.S. And, and so in some ways, we're importing their low interest rates. Yeah, and that goes back to the globalization of the economy and there being, you know, and I don't want to be, get this train going, but there, there is a U.S. economy, but then there's also a global economy as well. And the currency of that global economy is what doesn't totally make sense because you have the U.S. dollar, you have, you know, the euro, you have a variety of other, um, you know, currencies, and then you have... Uh, different indexes and so there's a variety of ways that one can trade and what it is that um, some might say China's doing is you know undervaluing their currency or overvaluing or whatever and it's what do they call that something there's a word for it currency uh, manipulation right and you know from an economic standpoint and from a lending standpoint um that is something that we don't have on the radar because you don't have a manipulation index. Like, oh, what's the likely chance of China manipulating their currency, right? Hmm. But, so we just don't know. Those are those are those geopolitical things maybe that we just don't know. Well, mortgage rates definitely move around from day to day based on all these uncertain factors, right? So it's really what investors think the next 30 years is going to look like. They're, they're lining up money for 30 years. They, they are wondering what the world is going to look like over that whole time period. Mm-hmm. But last and year, that in February, in February was the first time that the uh, yield curve inverted. And that's the long terms went about the same or lower than 
the short-term rates, mm-hmm. which the feds control. So kind of explain why the media went crazy over that, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. DeFranco, sure. and scared everybody. Yeah, well, they they love selling fear. It works. It gets more eyeballs uh, when you when you try to scare people. So what what it was is it's a when long term rates fall below short term rates, that it really has been a decent signal in the past. Not always. Not every country. Not all time periods. But it was a decent predictor of recession. But it turned out to be bogus, and it, it's uninverted itself. So it's really this, the, that signal is no longer present. So I, I would say that recession risk now is lower than three and six months ago. Mm. And part of that's because of, because of the, the Chinese trade deal that we've got. And part of it is the, uh, the, the yield curve is uninverting. And, and, and part of the reasons doing that is there's just sort of more confidence that the um, world economy is going to continue to chug along. China's continuing to grow 6% a year, these kind of things. Yeah. Um, our, our GDP is, is um, predicted to be much lower than China's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, about 2%. So if you're, if you're knocking a clip of 4% off every year, when is it that China just takes control of the world economy? We're still going to have control over a lot of things. So our own our own fate isn't going to be dominated by China. What there'll be is is a is a serious uh, strong rival or or uh, another dominant force. And and unfortunately, it's different now when we buy things like cell phones than when we bought sneakers and 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 t-shirts because a cell phone has a capacity to spy on you. And so what? And so the U.S. I think was wise to start putting up more barriers to Chinese technology, and so because of this this risk, security risk, and I think what that really means is we're going to be in for for slightly lower economic growth going forward because it's going to be more expensive to have a Western version of everything and a Chinese version of everything because that's basically where we're headed. There's going to be at least in terms of technology. There's going to be a bit more breaking up of the supply chains for technology, yeah. Because there's there's it, they're so advanced these these like like computer chips are so advanced you can't really check to see if they they put in some sort of secret backdoor in there. There's two. I can't. That is a loaded loaded statement because I do know what you're talking about and I have heard through my own research about that exact stuff that you're that you're speaking to and man, we, if you are interested to come on as uh, another type of guest, I'd love to talk more about that because you're right. Um, my other concern for the whole, uh, China, um, just the Asian market in general is what it is that we're competing with as far as, as far as labor goes, you know, it's very hard to Mm -hmm. compete for a booming, Mm -hmm. a booming economy and they're paying, you know, workers much less than what we would pay workers because our workers, Mm -hmm. our workers need 3000 square feet and three bedrooms and they need a car and they need a big backyard. And I mean, frankly, some folks who live in China, who live in some of these industrial sort of, you know, places and they work there, they're just minimalists, I guess is the best I can tell. They save like a third of their income, so they they they're just more cautious than than, uh, than we are. They don't have as good a safety net with things like Social Security, so they're mm-hmm. they're a lot more cautious. Right. 
I mean, it's just so fascinating how everything is so intertwined. Now, I only have a minute left in the segment, but let's end on this note. What do you think that we're going to see appreciation-wise in some of these hot markets like Nashville and Tennessee and things like that? Only a minute. So I think it's going to grow faster than the national average. So we're thinking 3 to 4% national, maybe tack on an extra percentage point. I would say places like Knoxville are probably going to be a little bit stronger than Nashville just because wow. they've had um, – the they, they, uh, affordability is becoming a bigger concern for buyers there. That's great to know. You buy a $200,000 house next year, you're, you may be looking at it being worth somewhere around two fifteen, two twelve, dollars uh, you know, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. That's good because, guys, we're talking about investment and, and not just are you not going to have to pay rent, as an example, if you're a new home buyer. You are also going to build equity for your future, and that's key. Well, that's awesome, and I want to thank you so much for coming in. It's been really, really um, we're thankful for the opportunity for your information. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And guys, we want to make sure you know to go to thehousinghour.com, learn more about Dr. DeFranco and ArchMI. We'll see you next time. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know, so come here to find out. Also, check us out at thehousinghour.com. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.